The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Oil prices up again. Stock futures, they are lower. Is the great rotation here to stay? We'll talk about it and where to invest now. Investors eyeing that surge in energy prices as crude hits its highest level in seven years. China and Europe face critical shortages. Continued fallout for Southwest Airlines and its mass weekend cancellations while the FAA says it will not be caught in the middle of love's blame game. No squid game here. Netflix standing its ground and standing by comedian Dave Chappelle around his latest special. And Jamie Dimon doubling down, calling Bitcoin worthless, even as the crypto surges close to new all-time highs. It is all happening on this Tuesday, October 12th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and as always, welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. Good Tuesday. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. Let us jump right in. Hit your Tuesday money. Futures, they are mildly down, maybe slightly lower right now. Could even turn by the time the show is over. NASDAQ futures off just two-tenths of 1%. All this after markets posted some losses on Monday. In fact, NASDAQ... I just said it. NASDAQ futures, they are in the green as well. So we could see an update there for big tech. Bonds, they are back open after a long holiday weekend. Yields, though, they are ticking back higher, back above 1.6%. Energy, of course, one of the biggest stories of the week, of the month, of the year. Oil hitting its highest level since October of 2014. And we are seeing crude oil down a bit from its high of yesterday, but still above 80 bucks a barrel. Now, a number of stocks in energy hitting 52-week or all-time highs. Names like Devon, Apache, Marathon, Hess, and more. We're going to get more, actually, on where to invest, according to Goldman Sachs. That is your RBI, and that is what they call a tease. So you got to stick around. We'll have that, as always, toward the end of the show. And let's check now cryptos, because Bitcoin is trading not at all-time highs, but its highest level since May. It's at 57000 400, remember that all-time high was 63,333, but Bitcoin has been red hot the last couple of weeks. We'll get more on that in a few minutes. Around the world, red arrows in Asia, you got Hong Kong, South Korea, and China. Their markets all dropped more than 1%. Europe, they're just getting going. And right now, they are down across the board. All markets about 7 tenths of 8% down. Again, we're not seeing some of these losses get bigger. In fact, some are getting muted as futures here turn around. Well, that is your Tuesday setup. And before we get more in these markets and your money, let's get some, some of the key headlines that you need to know about right now, including the latest on China's heavily indebted Evergrande Group. Savannah Hanau is here. Savannah, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Brian, that's right. Chinese property giant Evergrande reportedly missing yet another round of interest payments to international bondholders overnight. Evergrande was due to make three payments totaling $148 million by midnight, but according to the Financial Times, investors have yet to receive any funds. 
Evergrande originally missed a crucial $83.5 million interest payment late last month on a bond maturing next year. The missed payment triggered a 30-day grace period before the company formally defaults. It's now missed at least five bond interest payments. Sticking with China, authorities there confirming overnight that 13 people are dead after a bus drove into a rushing river amid heavy flooding in the northern part of the country. The heavy rains just north of Beijing, not only a danger for civilians, but they are also causing shutdowns at China's largest coal mines. As of yesterday, 60 of the region's 682 mines have been forced to close, putting new pressure on an energy system already pushed to the brink. And Alan Horn, the longtime head of Disney Studio Operations, says he is retiring at the end of the year. Horn's departure comes along with several other high-profile exits from Disney, including CEO Bob Iger, who became executive chairman last year after serving 15 years as CEO. Brian, back to you. All right, Savannah and Al, thank you very much. Disney shares not really moving on that. We'll get more with you in just a few minutes. Thank you very much. All right, let's get back down to the markets and your money. And your first guest today, just launching a new small to mid-cap stock strategy. And he says that is where you need to be right now. Dan Veru is the Chief Investment Officer and Co-Chair of Palisade Capital Management. And by the way, also being named one of CNBC's top financial advisors for the second year in a row. Dan, welcome back. And by the way, congrats on that CNBC honor. Well-deserved. Thanks, Brian. It's a lot of people at at uh, Palisade Capital, who uh, who uh, get that honor along with me, it was uh, we, we work very very hard every day for our clients. Well, you're very you're very humble, by the way, Dan. Congrats, and by the way, that list of Thanks. course can be on CNBC.com. So let's talk about it. Since we've got this uh, top financial advisor on the show here at uh, kicking it off on this Tuesday morning, you guys have just recently launched a new small to mid cap stock strategy. Why and where in particular do you see opportunity? Because even though we call it small, it's actually a pretty big space. It is. And, uh, you know, so so this is a category commonly referred to as mid cap. So you're not quite at mid cap uh, and you have a lot of small cap stocks. So it's the 2000 stocks in the Russell 2000 plus the 500 next largest companies, approximately half of the mid cap index but the smaller mid-cap companies. One of the themes you and I've talked about now several times is the importance of of profitability. And we're seeing that right now with rising interest rates, how important that is. The companies that are not profitable, the more speculative stocks have not done well in the more recent period as the yield curve has steepened and interest rates have risen. But what has done well are highly profitable companies, industrials, banks, materials. That's where you want to be. That's what's in the Russell 2500. It's a highly profitable index. You have less of the unprofitable companies in the 2500 than you have, say, in the Russell 2000, which is roughly about a a third. And by the way, I think the small, I think the Russell is going to do well. The 2000 is going to do well as well. That's my call from now through the end of the year, I believe that the Russell is going to uh, uh, reassert itself. And uh, between the 2000 and the 2500, yeah. those index should be among the best performing domestic equity benchmarks this year, if I'm right, with a steepening yield what, curve as the economy continues to recover. Dan, what makes you so confident on small caps? We just showed a one-year chart of the Russell 2000, and small cap stocks have largely been flat money since basically New Year's. I mean, since December. 
it's been a, a consolidation period after uh, that massive uh, rise that we saw uh, with the uh, launch of the uh, the two vaccines to get everybody back uh, back to work again. Now Merck's announcement of uh, of a, a, a pill you can take if you are sick to lessen and reduce the uh, the symptoms of COVID nineteen. Uh, look, I think the Delta variants running through. I think that's going. To, we're going to start to see you know things start to resolve themselves. Uh, supply chain issues as we get further uh, towards the end of the year. Uh, you know, we we had I think a growth scare more recently. That's why I think uh, the uh, you know the big cap tech names over the summer really uh, reasserted themselves, and you saw a corrective uh, period in the Russell and some of the other companies. But I think now things are starting to turn the other way. As the yield curves have begun to steepen, I think there, there's two things going on there. I think it's predicting that growth's going to reaccelerate into next year. Mm -hmm. We'll have a more normalized Fed. We need some cooperation in Washington with a, a, a rational corporate and individual tax yeah. rate policy. Uh, that's certainly a, a question mark that's out there, but all indications are original the original scope of the uh, of the tax uh, spending plan and the tax increases uh, are going to be uh, scaled down considerably. So I think those are all positives yeah. uh, for the economy to continue its reopening phase. Yeah, we are thankfully seeing COVID cases down 44 percent from their September right. highs. Let's hope that continues and everybody busts out. Dan Vru. Palisade Capital Management. Dan, appreciate kicking off the show, and congratulations once again, my friend. Well-deserved. Have Thanks, a great Brian. day. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. All right, so we are just getting going on this busy Tuesday, and when we come back, much more on the global energy crisis, oil hovering at its highest level in nearly a decade, and China and India worry about running out of power. Plus, could be another tough day for flyers of Southwest Airlines. Former Pan Am CEO David Bandmiller lays out the steps he says Southwest needs to take right now to address the crisis. And later, watch out. Some of the signals being seen in the red-hot housing market for the first time since before the 2008 crisis. I'll tell you what those are. Futures, they are turning around. NASDAQ down in the green. And we are back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 
All right, welcome or welcome back. Well, the biggest economic story in the world right now may just be the sudden surge in energy costs and shortages in many parts of the world. Crude oil here back above 80 bucks a barrel. In India, some states are worried about running out of coal. Lebanon forced to force blackouts as their power supply runs low. And Europe and China pacing huge prices for natural gas just to secure supplies ahead of the winter. All this as oil and natural gas stocks surge higher here. Two energy ETFs, the XLE and the XOP, both at multi-year highs. And many stocks like Apache, EOG, Diamondback, and more are up more than 50% or more this year. Meantime, the Biden administration blaming OPEC, saying it is urging them to add more oil to the markets. All this as U.S. production is down about 1.5 million barrels of oil per day from its high. Let's tie it all together and find out where it goes. Joining us is Amrita Sen, co-founder and director of research and energy aspects. I'm Rita, great to have you back on again. Uh, it does appear Thank that OPEC you. Plus with Russia is that you're welcome, is in the driver's seat right now. The Biden administration here coming out and saying we're calling OPEC, we're asking them. They're basically putting the finger uh, on OPEC despite U.S. production being down. How do you ultimately see it all being played out? I mean, look, the pressure on OPEC Plus is going to continue to grow um, from the U.S., given where prices are. Uh, there is, of course, a lot of concern about gasoline prices at the pump. Um, but the reality is that you know, this isn't. I mean, OPEC has very clearly laid out the roadmap. They are going to be bringing on 400,000 barrels per day every single month. Um, and, yeah, I mean, of course, OPEC Plus also don't want very high prices very quickly because it will damage demand ultimately. However, um, there are a lot of uncertainties, right? What happens in the winter? Does, uh, do we get COVID flare-ups again? And that's why they have been cautious. Um, if, the, if pressure mounts and if prices stay high, like, say, Brent in the 80s, sure, I think OPEC can look into tweaking the deal uh, come the November meeting or in the December one. Uh, they could add more than 400 in one month and pause the next month. Those options are always on the table. Uh, but it isn't just on OPEC why prices are high. Uh, the reality is that demand is rising very quickly. And broadly, not about oil, but more broadly, um, we just haven't kept up with investment because of just generally policymakers focus on uh, transition. I mean, that's it. You just nailed it kind of at the end. It's happening in Europe right now, and we are seeing it. And we understand that the so-called green transition is happening, but we cannot lose sight of the fact that as that happens, there also has to be adequate supplies of power in the real world that we are in. And we're starting to hear European politicians come out and basically saying, well, this is the price of the transition, and we're just going to have to deal with it. I'm not sure if people in Europe and the U.K. are going to exactly feel the same way. How long do you think, Amrita, this power crunch with natural gas and even coal, believe it or not, might last? Is it a, yes. is it a multi-week story? Is it a multi-month story, a multi-year story? I'd, I'd go with years because for the simple reason, right, of course, we've got more renewables, we've got more kind of, say, let's say, wind and solar generation, but we've retired a lot more coal plants, right? And like you mentioned, I mean, people have been writing the obituary for coal for, what, 10 years now? And look at where coal prices are. The problem is, the fundamental problem is energy demand is rising and it will continue to grow as population grows and income levels grow. Sure, the growth is being led by emerging markets, but this is a global 
world which is interconnected. So if you've uh, retired a lot of coal plants before demand has come off and we don't have enough renewables to uh, fill the gap, of course you're going to get high energy prices. And sure, gas prices we think next year will come off from the current levels, but we think it will be structurally a lot higher than what we've seen in the past. This is a structural story. There is one truth about the green transition, that it is extremely inflationary. To your point, I'm not sure consumers necessarily understand that till now. And I think I'd love to see what the reaction is uh, about the trade-offs that people will have to make going forward. Yeah. Well, we're going to find out. Do you quickly, do you think there could be power shortages in the UK or other parts of continental Europe as the, we- as the weather gets colder? I think if, if the weather is cold, I wouldn't rule that out for sure. I'm Rita Sen, Energy Aspects. I'm Rita, always appreciate and value your opinion. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. Big story there, folks. Right on deck, a CNBC investigation and the nightmare facing some customers on one very popular cryptocurrency trading platform after their investments simply go missing. We'll get more on that coming up right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome or welcome back. Let's get now to a developing story, one that continued really over the weekend, and that is continued fallout for Southwest Airlines. It scrapped another 360 flights yesterday after canceling around 2,000 flights over the weekend. Southwest saying bad weather and a shortage of workers a big part of the problem. Now, some have tried to blame vaccine mandates for the labor shortage, but the airline saying that is simply not the case. Southwest shares sinking on the news yesterday, and they are again lower today, only down about a half a percent, though. Let's welcome in now David Madmiller. He is a former airline CEO for Pan Am, Sun Country, and Aloha. He is also author of the book Turbulence, and we welcome him back to Worldwide Exchange. David, really glad to have you back on as well. What exactly do you think is going on at Southwest Airlines right now? Well, thanks for having me again, Brian. Uh, As I mentioned the last time, scheduling the industry is complex on a good day. And the typical things like weather, ATC problems, the 800 problem, which grounded the fleet, certain maintenance issues across the fleet can happen. I've never seen anything quite like this. And if I were to use a quote, I would say the perfect tsunami. And let me explain why and what I think from my own humble point of view, think needs to happen. Southwest is one of the best run managed airlines in the country. I've known them forever. I studied them and I studied their quick turn program years ago. Carriers turn airplanes in 30 to 35 minutes. Southwest is 15 minutes. That's the positive of this tsunami experience. The problem is like so many things in life, that strength can also be its weakness. They schedule so tight that when you face the combination, and I believe it is a combination, of COVID pilot issues, and I think there are some pilot issues, 
No, I don't think they're slowing down that sort of thing. But before you affect the mandates 100 percent, and I'm sure Gary does this, you have to sit down with the pilots and explain, OK, if somebody says no, what about sick leave? What about these issues? Yeah. And so on. So in addition, the demand, as I mentioned once before, has caught everybody by surprise. And wait until you see Thanksgiving, Brian, and Christmas. Got to be ready now. Now, Oh, it's going to be it's going to be. I've been flying, David, I've been flying almost every week. I'm flying again on Sunday. I mean, I can, I'm out there in the airports. I've probably done 50,000 air miles already this year, so I've seen it firsthand. You know, I think the issue is that the pilots union at Southwest Airlines is pushing back on the vaccine mandate, going to court. Now you've got this labor shortage, so people are tying it together. But Southwest and even really, I think, others inside of the airline are saying, no, 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 they're not really related our pilots are just wiped out. They're exhausted because everybody got people got furloughed. Now this sudden boom, they simply don't have the people and pilots. <laughs> they need sleep. I mean, you don't, you don't want your pilot running on being awake for, for yeah. 22 hours. How bad well, do you think it could get this Thanksgiving? Uh, well, if they don't get ahead of it from a scheduling point of view, it's going to be a problem. And I really hope it isn't. These are smart people. But let me give you kind of like a technical observation. As we mentioned, you can't bring a pilot back tomorrow morning. So you have simulator time. And then if you're desperate for pilots, you might take people that are trained trainers in simulators and put them on the line. And they can only fly 100 hours a month by FAA regulations anyhow. So you have the training component, the shortage component, the demand component, the COVID thing, uh, all mixed together. That's the tsunami. And their strength is one of the best operators in the world. Their strength has always been moving airplanes fast. But when you get all these blips together, that becomes a serious negative. What should should Southwest do uh, that they're not already doing? These guys are, I'm sure they're on top of all this stuff. I think they need to come out and talk more about it. I really do. I think go public with every single issue, COVID, pilots, training, weather. It wasn't just weather and ATC. You know, people know that, okay, because American only lost 2% of their flight. So it's more than that. And one other thing I would mention, I think it's the technical capacity within flight operations to manage this stuff with the most sophisticated hardware and software I assume they have. I know American does because I've been to their system control operation six months ago for a day. And it's very sophisticated. I am sure they are very good at that. But I can't answer that specifically for you, Brian. But if if I were them from a suggestion point of view, it's come out with everything today. Come out with everything, including a plan for the rest of the year so that people regain their confidence in a quality airline. Yeah, because to your David, to your point, it is not United, it is not American, it is not Delta, it no. is not Sun Country, and so yeah, there there is something specific there going on. David Van Miller, really appreciate your views. Thanks. Thank See you, you soon. Well, David's point, he said they got to get out in front of it, and guess what? They're going to try to because today on Squawk on the Street, Southwest Airlines CEO Gary Kelly, who's been at the helm of that company for maybe. I don't know, 15 or 20 years. I've been to the headquarters with him. He will be on SOTS this morning at 9.30 a.m. He'll talk about everything that David just talked about and try to get some trust back into Southwest Flyers who've been facing a really, really tough couple of days, certainly stuck at the airport. That at 9.30 a.m. Eastern time. All right.
In the meantime, let's now get a check on some of this morning's other key headlines, including the sudden resignation of John Gruden at the top of the Las Vegas Raiders. And NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York now with that story and more. Francis, good morning. Right. Brian, good morning to you. Let's start with Texas residents who won't be mandated to roll up their sleeves to get vaccinated against COVID-19. Governor Greg Abbott issued an executive order prohibiting any entity, including private businesses, from imposing COVID-19 vaccination requirements on employees or customers. Netflix co-CEO Ted Serranos is addressing the Dave Chappelle stand-up controversy. The special Drew criticism from the LGBTQ plus community and other groups because of the comedian's jokes about trans women. In a staff memo obtained by Variety, but not independently verified by NBC News, Serrano's defended the Chappelle special titled Closer, writing in part, Chappelle is one of the most popular stand-up comedians today, and we have a long-standing deal with him. He also said the platform would not remove his special. And that breaking news you mentioned, John Gruden out as the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. He resigned following reports that he made homophobic and misogynistic comments in emails dating back to 2010. The New York Times reported Gruden sent these messages to former Washington football team president Bruce Allen. It comes days after Gruden apologized for racial comments made in emails about NFL players executive Demora Smith. All I can say is I'm not a racist. I don't uh, I can't uh, tell you how sick I am. I apologize again to, to, to D. Smith. Um, but I feel good about who I am and what I've done my entire life. And um, I apologize for the insensitive remarks. I had uh, no, uh, you know, I, I, I had no racial uh, intentions with those remarks at all. Gruden issued a statement following his resignation saying he doesn't want to be a distraction and never meant to hurt anyone. Raiders owner Mark Davis accepted the resignation and coordinator Rich Bisachia will take over head coaching duties and will meet with the media tomorrow. The New York Times reported Gruden sent the emails while he was an analyst at ESPN. In a statement, his former employer called the comments clearly repugnant. All right, Brian, for a Back to Work Tuesday and those headlines. Those are them for the, the snap for now. Francis, thank you very much. Good Tuesday morning. Okay. All right on deck. Can you believe it? It is earnings time already again. And maybe the only group that's going to get more attention than energy are the big banks. But Chris Whalen says there is one thing you really need to know ahead of all of it. He is here. With that, Dow Futures, they are up. And we're back right after this. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Tuesday morning. It's 531 Eastern Time. Hope you're having a great start to your day, and here's how your money and the markets look right now as we are just over halfway through the hour. Stock futures, they are now in the green. It's been a pretty big turnaround in futures over the past hour, but we know that volumes on the futures markets, and with all due respect to our show, are pretty low at 5 a.m., so they tend to be fluid, and they were down when we got in, but now we are seeing a gain. In fact, the Dow at one point was indicated down more than 150 points, so it's probably just one trade. Same story for the NASDAQ 100, and we could see that we are seeing as futures traders start to get active and volumes increase, we are seeing that move to the upside right now. So the futures, they are in the green. Not a lot, but they're in the green nonetheless. All right, as always, more in the market, send your money in moments, but right now, let's get a check on some of this morning's other key headlines, including Congress looking to kick the 
debt can down the road. Silvana Hanau has more on that and some of your other key headlines on this Tuesday. Silvana, what do you got for us? All right, Brian, here's what I'm going to give you. All right. Members of the House returned to Washington today to approve that short-term boost to this country's debt limit. That $480 billion increase cleared the Senate last week on a party-line vote. The House is expected to approve the measure, sending it to President Biden so he can sign it into law this week. But the relief will be short-lived. Congress will have to revisit the issue in December while also working to once again approve a federal spending bill and avoid a government shutdown. Turning to the housing market, jumbo home loans are approaching levels not seen since the lead-up to the 2008 financial crisis. According to a new research note from Bank of America, originations of large residential mortgages that exceed conforming limits set for housing giants Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae could hit $550 billion this year. And J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon says that while global supply chain issues are hindering economic growth, the problem, he says, will be a temporary one. He also offered his latest take on Bitcoin, calling the crypto worthless, saying he expects that governments will eventually take steps to regulate the digital assets. Brian, back to you. All right, Savannah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. it. All right, so why don't we stick there with Jamie Dimon, J.P. Morgan, and some of the big banks, because earnings are going to start to roll out soon. Hard to believe, but true. And everybody is wondering how the move in interest rates, of course, mostly to the downside last quarter, will impact the numbers. For more, let's bring in Christopher Whalen. He is chairman of Whalen Global Advisors. Chris, good to have you back on ahead of uh, all these big bank numbers that are about to roll out. And of course, the tenure has ticked up in the last couple of weeks, but that's not going to impact the numbers because the numbers are based on uh, the previous quarter. On a macro level, and I know all banks are different, I get it. What are you sort of expecting as a, as a larger trend from the numbers that we see rolling out? I think what you're going to see, Brian, is that banks are going to stabilize. We're not going to have the volatility we've seen in earnings for the past 18 months because of COVID and other factors. And then the real question is, what does the run rate look like going forward? And I think it's going to look a lot like 2019. Um, You know, the J.P. Morgan is only half loans today. That number is falling because they're not making many loans. They're not buying many loans. So they invest in securities. And that's the story across the industry is even though the Fed has grown deposits by 30 percent, lending has not been growing. We're at a 50 year low for lending versus total bank assets. So it's kind of like the end of World War II when the banks were all government bonds, uh, they're buying securities. And that's not really driving net interest margin as much as we would hope. You know, you're right. And, and maybe we need to find another term. I actually, you know, I don't like to call Goldman Sachs a bank, J.P. Morgan a bank. No. I understand they, they have a banking unit, but they're very different than the thousands of small and local you know, banks that we use around the country. These are trading companies that may have a bank inside them. To your point, Chris, 50-year yeah. lows on lending? I mean, if that's yeah. the case, uh, who's actually lending money these days? The new platforms, the non-bank lenders. Uh, whether you look at mortgage, whether you look at autos or consumer lending, that's where the origination is happening. That's where they're acquiring new leads, and that's how you make a loan. Banks have been so badly uh, just limited and neutered by people like Elizabeth Warren who think they're a problem. But the problem is, is that they support the economy. And if they don't lend, then you have less growth, less job creation. 
Um, I think we have to re-examine how we look at these institutions. Because look at Bank of America. It's $2 trillion worth of assets and deposits, and they're barely growing. So we have, to, we have to fix this, because if we don't get our banks in the game, we're not going to support the kind of uh, economic expansion we'd like to see for our people. Yeah, or our small businesses certainly out there as well. And yeah. like your, to your point, Chris, some of these non-bank lenders are picking up the oh, slack. Yeah. But I do want to focus on one bank because a while back on this show, and you're not a stock picker, you're not an analyst. I get that. But you talked to us about <laughs> Western Alliance Bancorp. You talked to us about what a good spot they were in under the radar, just crushing it, by the way. They continue to. WAL is the ticker. I'm not asking you to make a stock recommendation but is this a company that you still think, even under the midst of all these big names, is doing it right? Oh, very much. They are a, an example, Brian, of why the value creation is occurring in the smaller banks, the large regionals like Western Alliance, which was focused on the mortgage industry. And then they went and bought a very interesting company called Amerihome from Apollo, which was run by a bunch of uh, former countrywide executives are best team in the industry, frankly, and they are head to head with Penny Mac and the other leaders in the industry. And as you can see, the stock was up almost a two fold increase from that first conversation we had. So I feel very good. I'm a banker, but I always talk about fundamentals. I talk about drivers and Western Alliance is a great example of why small banks generate more value than the larger banks. Yeah, we are watching those those bank earnings set to roll out as well all next week. Hard to believe, but true. Christopher Whalen, we appreciate your views as always. 50-year lows on lending. Simply incredible. Chris, thank you. It is. Listen, no, to Chris's point, no credit, no expansion there. All right, on deck. A CNBC investigation you have got to hear. It is about crypto and why users of one huge trading platform are very, very upset. We're back right after this. All right, welcome back. Well, as cryptos go mainstream with consumers, a huge number of them are doing business on Coinbase. It is one of, if not the largest crypto trading platforms in the world. But for a number of customers, it has recently been a nightmare after hackers stole their investments. And many of those customers say they have been left in the cold by Coinbase's customer service. Eamon Javers dives into the growing issue as part of this CNBC investigation. I was kind of like panicked, to tell you the truth. Eric and Molly Richardson say they saved nearly $1.1 million worth of cryptocurrency in a Coinbase account. But then in July, Eric got an alert on his phone. The message said someone had logged onto their account. Eric clicked on the text, logged in and soon received an email that their two-factor authentication, which verifies security settings, had been changed. He was like in a state of shock. So I tried to help him. I tried to stay calm and I, you know, looked up Coinbase online trying to figure out how to get a hold of their customer service. Like thousands of other Coinbase customers, the Richardsons say they got nowhere when they tried to get immediate help. That's because the company didn't offer any kind of live phone support. Email was the only option. And within the 20 minutes that we sent the email, somebody had done a 110 different transactions, sending out about 21 Bitcoin. In all, the hackers stole some $700,000 of the couple's savings. There's no They're not the only ones. 
As CNBC reported in August, cryptocurrency holders across the country have been victimized by hackers who drain their accounts. And then they can't even get anyone on the phone to resolve the issue. Coinbase said in August that it had finally set up a phone number for customers to call if their account had been taken over. But that doesn't seem to be fixing the problem. Customers told us the live support was useless, a joke, and it was only for accounts that are actively locked. So we wanted to see what would happen when the Richardsons called Coinbase's new customer support line. I'm going to call and see if I can get my account finally unlocked. And maybe should I ask if they will give me my money back? A Coinbase agent does answer. Well, I got locked out of my account um, about two months ago, and I haven't been able to get back in. Somebody stole 21 Bitcoin out of it. The agent tells Richardson he actually doesn't have access to his case file, instead saying he should respond to a Coinbase email he'd already responded to. A Coinbase spokesperson says, we recognize the challenges some of our customers have experienced with their Coinbase accounts. Improving our customer experience continues to remain a top priority. Eric says his big regret is not doing more to safeguard his Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Chainlink before the theft, which he thinks happened because that text alert was likely a phishing attack to steal his information. One option he considered but didn't follow up on was a hardware device used for cold storage of cryptocurrencies. I beat myself up every day because I have my friend's voices in my head. Eric put it on cold storage, and I just didn't. Nicole DeSico, who helps clients secure their cryptocurrency, says cold storage is virtually hack-proof. You get a private key, which is like a password, to buy and sell crypto, and you store that key offline. When you keep your funds in cold storage, you own those funds, you have access to them, they're offline, away from hackers. Of course, the problem with even that solution is owners can lose their passwords, or something can go wrong with the device itself. As far as the Richardsons, soon after our interview, Coinbase restored access to their account. They also received a credit from Coinbase, but nowhere near what they lost. Just $500 worth of Bitcoin. It felt like they kicked sand in my face. That's what made me think, is there even anybody senior at Coinbase looking at this? Coinbase told the Richardsons it won't refund their savings because the company was not responsible for the hack. Customers have filed more than 12,000 complaints against the company with government and consumer agencies since 2016. Meanwhile, an additional 1,500 complaints have been filed just since our story aired in August, mostly over customer service, Brian. Yeah, and of course, the markets collapsed in crypto in July, so I'm sure a lot of people are also very frustrated by that. Bottom line, Eamon, I mean, are these customers, those, the Richardsons or others that you've talked to, are they ever going to get their money back or part of it? Well, look, it's tough for the Richardsons, right? Because what the exchanges say in a case like this is often that, you know, we had nothing to do with this hack, as they're saying in the case of the Richardsons. They're saying the hacker got into your phone uh, and the phone company is responsible for that. uh, And therefore, it's not our problem. So you saw that they got about five hundred dollars worth of credit there. That's tough when you lose seven hundred thousand dollars. It's an emotional experience for a lot of these families uh, and individuals who've lost this money uh, and the hackers are getting away with it. You know, you can track some of this funding on the blockchain, but ultimately they're able to move it into jurisdictions where U.S. law enforcement can't follow them uh, and they're able to cash out a lot of this money. A lot different than Butch Cassidy, right, Eamon? It's like, well, we didn't take your money. The, the robbers took your money, of course. Oh, right. but that money would That's actually right. come back for, through the uh, FDIC. A little different here, isn't it? 
If you had your money in a bank, it would be fine. But crypto is not money, and uh, an exchange is not a bank. Very well said. Eamon Javers, uh, appreciate the CNBC investigation. See more of it all day here on CNBC. Thank you, Eamon. You bet. All right, on deck, your morning RBI and eight oil and gas stocks that Goldman Sachs is pounding the table on right now. Plus, Dr. J, John and Jerry is here to weigh in and let you know what he is seeing in the markets right now. Dow futures, they're flat to maybe slightly higher. Oil is up. We're back right after this. Well, today's RBI stays on the oil and gas story and Why not? It is one of the biggest economic stories in the world and really America right now. But instead of just complaining about high prices, this RBI is going to help you try to make some money off of them. First, let's look at how well some of the energy-related stocks have done. Here are a few big ETFs and one-month returns. The XOP up 26%, the OIH and the XLE up 18% each. All that, while the NASDAQ Triple Q big tech ETF is actually down 4.5%. What a turn. Oil up, tech down. But with so many oil and gas stocks already booming, is it too late to buy? No, but you have to be selective. So says Goldman Sachs. In a note, Goldman's energy stocks team says, quote, we view long-term oil demand risks as overstated. In other words, oil is here to stay. And they continue, quote, in North America, we believe investors can arbitrage this difference in views by owning eight Buy-rated upstream stocks in our coverage. And those names are, get your pins or iCloud notes or whatever ready. Goldman Sachs says right now you need to buy Hess, Pioneer Natural Resources, Occidental, and Cosmos Energy. Cosmos, by the way, a Dallas-based company, but does almost all of its business off the coast of West Africa. And the other four that Goldman says you got to own, ExxonMobil, Synovus, Canadian Natural Resources, and Suncor Energy. The last three, of course, are all Canadian companies. Goldman Sachs says these eight stocks, as a basket, should return an average of about 18%, according to their estimates, going forward. So, there you go. Some random and interesting stocks in the ONG space. Maybe you can make some money to help cover your higher heating and gasoline bills this winter. Random, but interesting. All right, let's stick with energy now and bring in our good friend, John Najarian. He is Market Rebellion co-founder and a CNBC contributor. John, uh, we talked about it, by the way, in Vegas, live and in person at your awesome conference uh, about a week ago. Thank you. Are you seeing any options action in some of these names or in even some of these ETFs? Yeah, uh, in particular, Brian, it was great having you there because people always enjoy your insights and of course, uh, your expertise in energy. And uh, what you're talking about is exactly what we've been seeing for weeks now. Uh, About four to six weeks, we've seen the XOP, which is the Exploration and Production ETF, up about 26%. um, And the XLE up about roughly half of that, 14%. And uh, both of these uh, and Many of the constituent stocks that make up those two uh, spiders, if you will, uh, have had huge inflows, both of uh, stock, people buying blocks of stock, as well as options. And um, I know one of the things we talked about, Brian, was, uh, you know, energy is not just one story. It's basically all 
of the energy complex. So if you want to trade uranium stocks, those are absolutely uh, just moving up like crazy. Uh, coal up 300 and some odd percent over the last six months. And that's really putting uh, even more demand on the other types of fossil fuels, because if you can't get enough coal, yep. Brian, then you're going after nat gas or you're going after diesel and, you know, a derivative uh, gasoline. So all of it's moving up. Coal is the best performing commodity this year, 2021, the year of the fossil fuels, I guess, John. And to your point, the CEO of Aramco recently said, listen, what's going to happen in China? They've got these, you know, coal or natural gas plants. They can convert their input to oil or diesel fuel. I mean, hard to believe, but true. And they think that could boost oil demand by 500,000 barrels a day or more. In other words, we can't, we can't get coal or we can't afford natural gas. Let's burn oil. I mean, it seems like this is, you know, 1931 we're talking about. Yeah, and uh, I think a lot of it is that, of course, MBS, uh, the head of Saudi Arabia, really uh, by dropping those prices so severely that briefly they went to negative in 2020, um, he really disciplined a lot of the folks in OPEC uh, that up until then had not been hit with that stick that hard. And that might even include Putin, um, because his real uh, uh, effort was to get Putin in line. And I think uh, uh, they both benefited at, when you look a year ahead, because look at the price that Putin's getting for natural gas and various other fossil fuel derivatives in Western Europe right now, Brian. Absolutely exploding. Yesterday, we had uh, Schlumberger and Halliburton, people that help you pull it out of the ground, just like Goldman's talking about. Um, a lot of that interest right now is still focused directly on energy and people that can get it quick. Yeah, so you are seeing some some activity there in the options and the equities of SLB mm -hmm. and HAL because, again, we always tell people know what you own. When you look at ETFs like the OIH, they're basically 40% SLB and HAL. I mean, it's a couple of big companies and pretty much the rest are laid up. You're starting to see more activity in those individual names as well. Yeah, absolutely. Talked about it yesterday on the halftime report, um, the Schlumberger uh, call activity. Uh, and, and both of them uh, have made some pretty nice moves over the last few weeks, Brian. Uh, I, I think there's a lot more to come there. Um, a lot of the discipline from the shale fields, I think, starts to uh, some of that discipline probably fades a little bit as we get closer and closer uh, to 90 and pushing perhaps through to 100. I don't know if we can get much higher than that, because I think that just turns the spigot on, pardon the pun, if we get over 90 and towards 100, I think everybody's going to open them wide open. Yeah. Yeah, and also demand destruction. You maybe hit six-buck gasoline in parts of Hawaii or California as well. You get to a point where consumers just uh, stop driving or dial it back as well. Good stuff there in oil and gas and energy. John, and again, thanks for having me out at your conference. Fantastic time. Always appreciate it. Look forward Thank to next you. year. John and Jerry, take care. Suddenly, everybody's on the oil and gas bandwagon, folks. We got a long way to go on that story, by the way, all through the year, particularly in Europe and in Asia as well. All right, that wraps it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. I am off tomorrow, but I'll see you back here right on Thursday morning as well. Squawk and the gang picking up the coverage. Have a spectacular day. Thanks for watching.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 